0: You're listening to the Writer Than
1: You podcast. Oh, it's so good to be back on the air. Good morning. Welcome to the show. As you just heard, my name is Bill Ryder. I'm the world's most humble, humble know-it-all, and it is a thrill to be back on CBS Sports Radio after a week and a surprise day of vacation. Was in beautiful Maine. Flew in and out of Bangor. Bangor, I always say it wrong. Where we're on the air. Love Maine. Love Maine. And love me some Tommy DeCelestino, uh, the bristler. What does that mean? I will tell you in about 20 minutes. We have a phone number for you to call if you want to say what's up. We always throw it out. You rarely use it. That's fine. It's like a guest restroom. You don't have to use it, but it is at your disposal if you feel the need. Eight, You know those guys in the bathroom that, that, that stand there and they hand you a towel and you're like, hey, man, this is kind of a private space. I'm not sure if I'm supposed to tip you or even make eye contact. D-Cell is apparently that version on this show because he guards the phone line, which I just compared to a restroom when you visit someone's house. 855-212-4CBS is the phone number. Don't flush that number down the toilet. Give us a call. Twitter, sportswriter, sports, R-E-I-T-E-R, at d CBS. Tom, you missed me? What's up? Missed you, pal.
2: Bill, I missed you so much. It's so good to hear your voice, to see your face on Skype. I love that you're back, and I'm ready to go.
1: Let's go. Good to be back. Good to be here. Uh, Ty Dunn, our buddy, our friend, great NFL writer, does his own thing on Substack, wrote for Bleacher Report for a long time, will be on the show in an hour. And I've said this so many times, I'll say it again. I just He's really good. He's extremely connected. We'll get with him on the percolating drama around the National Football League. A lot of that is running back specific. Jonathan Taylor going to war with his own organization, and when you go to a metaphorical war, if your general's an idiot, things don't always go well. That's the owner of the cult. So we'll just get into that. I guess we charge. We'll get into that in about 20 minutes. We'll talk to Ty in an hour. Uh, we do have a little bit of an update for you uh, on MLB trade deadline shenanigans and news and other things happening. I'm sure the guys will catch me up. I'm going to talk a little about my vacation in Maine, and... You know how, like, Messi went to Miami, and that's a big story? Justified, the Miami of TV shows came back, and we're three episodes in. So we'll update—I'm not kidding, Tom. We'll update you on that. Buffalo Bills know that the uh, the allure of greatness has passed them by. At least that's my read on the bizarre move their head coach has done to motivate the guys. And we'll do by ourselves, as we always do. Sean Payton has fallen for one of the most intoxicating— alluring poisons out there. It's the Hollywood poison. It's the fame poison in a different way than you might think and expect if you're a very famous, very accomplished, Super Bowl-winning head coach, which obviously Peyton is. But the latest drama that I know uh, Bart Winkler, who did an amazing job filling in last week, um, talked about and DeSell talked about and the guys hit last week, the latest drama involving Sean Peyton has gotten so bad, and I'll, I'll play this in a second here, but take my word for it, and then I'll prove it with some with some actual words of someone else, that even Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers sounds like the rational, mature adult in the room. Here's the recap if, if you missed it. To our buddy, I think it was to Jared Bell, our buddy at USA Today, Sean Payton did an interview and just went off on Nathaniel Hackett. Now, look, I've called him Nathaniel Can Hackett, the former head coach of the Broncos, now the coordinator of the Jets, Aaron Rodgers' buddy, former longtime coach in Green Bay and a guy that he has a lot of respect for. But there's a code in coaching that you don't take shots at other coaches. You don't point out how miserable they are. You don't say how incompetent they are. You basically don't bring the truth that we bring here on this show. doesn't make it not true. You just don't do it. And to be fair, if I thought one of the hosts – here on CBS Sports Radio was a complete joke of a disaster, didn't belong on the air, and was a lifelong career mistake by my bosses to give them the airwaves, I wouldn't say so. Well, I might not be fired. But most people wouldn't say so. Sean Payton broke that rule. And the reason he broke it is because he went Hollywood. I can remember... A long time ago, before I got into television got into radio, but I was about to make that transition. I didn't know I was going to make that transition, but the people around me did. In, in my profession, I guess you can just kind of tell how careers are trending. And I had one guy, Rick Jaffe, who I love, mentor, come, take me to, to lunch in L.A. And basically tell me, not basically, tell me, told me, don't cheat on your wife if you get successful, don't lose your compass when you get on TV and radio, seen it a thousand times, you seem like a really good young dude, Stay a good father, a good husband. And that's a, I'm telling you, that's a weird message. It's weird because i was in a relatively new job. I was at FoxSports.com then to go out with your boss, and he's in a Jaguar, and I've never really been in a Jaguar, and we're driving through L.A., and I've only been to L.A. four times. I live here now. And the guy, you know, I was doing pretty good work, and I thought I was going to get a beat better or good job, and I got to don't become a complete jerk when you're on TV and radio. And I said, well, I'm not going to be on TV and radio. I'm never going to change. But it's a theme that's out there. And another guy, that same job, very famous writer, used to say the same thing to me and all the other young writers, would say TV is a drug. People get on there, they get addicted, it changes. It changes them. And the irony is this guy got on TV and became a totally different, and I would argue, horrible person. So I recognize it. I could tell you people in my profession who have gone in... By the way, I worked at Fox Sports. I know what Sean Payton's world was like. That place treats, quote-unquote, talent really well. Sean Payton, even if he was a big-time head coach had, and this is just the reality of the place, beautiful women cutting his hair every single day, and doing makeup, and they bring him food, and they treat you like you're a god. And this guy went Hollywood. And you can hear it in his apology that he gave since we were last on the air. This is what it sounds like, and he's really admitting it, when a guy goes to TV and has a different kind of stardom. Not, not even just fame, but the Hollywood kind of fame and how they treat you, and then tries to re-enter the real world and puts his foot in his mouth.
0: I had I had one of those moments where I still had my fox hat on, and and not my coaching hat on. And uh, you know, I said this to the team in the meeting yesterday. We've had a great off season relative to that, you know. And I've been preaching that message. And here I am, the veteran, um, you know, stepping in it. And uh, you know, it was it was a learning experience for me. It was a mistake, obviously. I needed a little bit more filter, um, you know. There's a pound of flesh for these guys, and, and as a coach, you stick up for them. And after a while, you know, we're past that season last year, and, and you know, I said what I said, and, and obviously I needed it a little bit more uh, restraint, and uh, I regret that.
1: It's really hard to unlearn becoming a different and new person. It's really difficult if something transforms you, even for, for the worse, to see it and to properly adjust to it. And to me, Sean Payton saying things he shouldn't say about a former coach isn't the issue. It's, 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 It sucks. It's not kind. It violates a rule that coaches operate by. It's also petty. It's unnecessary to kick a guy when he's down. It doesn't seem like they have a personal issue with each other, which to me at least would change things. He doesn't know the guy. Though all that is true, but not the problem. There are a lot of guys in football that are jerks, that are head coaches. They're not good guys. Trust me. And I'm not saying Sean Payton's not. What I'm saying is the real worry is this guy's gone so Hollywood, that his essence has been so transformed, that his makeup and how he sees the world has been so changed by Fox Sports and that world that I once inhabited. And I was neither successful enough nor inclined to be shifted and changed. I can tell you people that I went into that world with, because FS1 launched at the same time, or, or launched, and we all went there at the same time. I can tell you people that you know who are good dudes, good men and women, who got famous, but I can tell you some other sides of that equation too. There's one guy, you know who he is, I, I won't say his name, I should, don't like him, who was just a normal guy like me, he was a writer, he went over there and started demanding cars and limos and crazy stuff before we got big time. And now he is, I can't even imagine what he's like now. It changes people. Sean Payton may have lost the thing that made him great. This, is, this might just be the most outward sign that Sean Payton has gone Hollywood and gone TV and lost his hold a little bit on, on, on things. Happened to John Gruden to a degree, right? He was mediocre and fine. But people can sometimes be transformed by this world. And that's what I worry about for Sean Payton. He's bringing down ridicule he doesn't need. He's going to bring down ire of other coaches that is unnecessary. All of those things you can navigate if you're an amazing head coach. But you have to be able to operate as a head coach in the NFL in the details, in the margins, in the grind. One of the paradoxes of being really successful in sports, and sports media I think, is that it looks glamorous, and for guys like Sean Payton, it is a glamorous life with massive money and massive attention and massive fame and celebration and this world that tells you you're great. But the actual thing that gets you to that point and that maintains that point is utterly and totally undynamic. It's not mesmerizing. It's not fun. It's not sexy. It is grinding and working in the margins. It is late nights and film, and setting a culture that is the opposite of the Hollywood buzz that Sean Payton fell victim to. Maybe, because I'd like to be an optimist. I'm coming off vacation. Maybe Sean Payton is just, what is it, is it molting where the snake puts the skin on? Maybe he's molting his Hollywood shell, but I don't think so. It's a big screw-up. And the screw-up, again, itself isn't the issue. I think it's what it says about who he's become. This guy went Hollywood. This guy went, and I love L.A., but not that part of L.A. He went L.A. And the fact that Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers, who also responded and, and stood up for his guy. Man, say what you want about Aaron Rodgers. People are complicated. I do respect loyalty. I do. Not a big Aaron Rodgers guy. Aaron Rodgers sounds like the voice of reason compared to Hollywood Sean Payton.
3: Those comments were very surprising. Um, to For a coach to do that to another coach. My love for that goes deep. You know, we had... Uh, some great years together in Green Bay, kept in touch, Um, love him and his family. He's an incredible family man, incredible dad. And on the field, you know, he's arguably my favorite coach I've ever had in the NFL. Just his approach to it, how he makes it fun, uh, how he cares about the guys, uh, just how he goes about his business with respect, with leadership, with honesty, with integrity. And it made me feel bad that someone who's accomplished a lot in the league is that insecure that they have to take another man down to set themselves up for some sort of easy fall if it doesn't go well for that team this year? I thought it was way out of line and appropriate, and I think he needs to keep uh, my coach's names out of his mouth.
1: What a takedown. Look, Sean Payton's a leader for Bum of the Week because I don't think it happened last week. We don't have a Hero of the Week. What's the opposite of Bum? Saint of the Week, but I can't believe it might might be Aaron Rodgers if we had such a thing. He's not wrong, by the way, about part of what's probably going on here is Sean Payton setting up an excuse. But that's my point. That's what they do in L.A. That's what they do in Hollywood. That's what they do in the TV business. I live here, and that means you, you, you work around, you live around the people that work in this community. I'm from Dubuque, Iowa. Now, the plant there has been closed for a long time, but it wasn't when I was a kid. And so... My friends' parents largely worked in the meat plant, right? And I was just in Maine. And there's a lot of lobstrum in there. And we interact with a lot of folks who, who do that for, for a living. Wherever you happen to be, I got buddies who work in, in San Francisco. There's a lot of their friends who are tech people. I, I live in L.A. It is shocking to me how many people work in the movie, TV, Hollywood industry here. And some of them suck. They're worst. Some of them are great. And the great ones, will be honest with you. And they'll just tell you stories about Hollywood and people who change and all those things. Right, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. But in America today, with Twitter and everything else, it's really fame and the idea of fame that I think changes people. Sean Payton went into that into that mirage of perfection that L.A. sets up for its famous people. And I can speak, again, with a little more experience, having specifically been in the exact culture he was at at Fox Sports. And I have nothing to get—I love Fox Sports. I don't watch anymore. I don't listen to his radio network. I think we're better, right? But, like, they treated me great when I was there, and they changed my life. And I went into that place, and I watched people lose them. I was a nobody in that job, relatively speaking. And my wife knows this, so I'll say it on the air. I, I, I can remember I had women. Look, if you could see me right now, you would understand the shocking nature of this. I had younger women hit on me. somebody when they found out I was on TV. I remember I once did a finals thing, and a, a very attractive young woman who was working as part of the thing was so rude to me. When I, because she was, her job was to like set the chair. McKay, can I get a chair? And then when, because she didn't watch the network. And then when she realized I was on TV, didn't know what I did was very, was very sociable. You, you could lose your way. If if I could have opportunities to ruin my life in my 12 seconds of being on TV at that place, anybody, and I'm not saying that's what happened to Sean Payton and, and that, I'm just saying you were bombarded by attention and affection and praise, and everybody knows your name, and everybody treats you like you're gold, and you go, people go Hollywood. And Sean Payton forgot what it's like to grind and to struggle and to have fear and to be worried and to know the margins for Hackett or anyone else between humiliation and great success between an almost could have been story and massive wealth is thin. And that's why coaches don't go after each other in that kind of way. But this wasn't a head coach in the NFL going after another former head coach. This was a guy that went Hollywood, forgetting what it is to struggle and to worry. And that's a concern for the Broncos. He better molt that skin of Hollywood. He better get away from that version of himself or the Broncos have much bigger problems than Aaron Rodgers, justifiably, being mad at hell for Sean, at Sean Payton for being an absolutely obnoxious, rich, formerly successful head coach. 855 cbs you want to call us. I went fishing in Maine. Didn't catch a single fish. I love fish. It doesn't matter. We had the wrong, we had the wrong, we had the wrong bait. We had the wrong lures. We knew it. Fisher hours anyway it's incredibly incredibly therapeutic much like hanging out with the bristler why is Tom DeCelestino the bristler gonna tell you next here on CBS Sports Radio
4: call from mom answer it call silenced
0: Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game that's why they make ordering from your couch easy
5: you could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever
0: or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new hyundai santa fe visit hyundaiusa.com for more details hyundai there's joy in every
2: journey welcome back to writer than you the words you can say
1: is i was wrong you could just say you were wrong you'd be like i got that one wrong it's I, okay
2: i don't choose to say those words
1: it's a, i yeah <laughs> i'm aware of that
2: we're good we're all good
1: I'm not. All right. <laughs> you <laughs> literally are so incapable of being like, all right, all right, that you were, you you said the words, DeAndre. I want to see DeAndre Aiden be the best player in that team. DeAndre just... Aiden
2: is getting my all-star vote this year. I've already decided, no matter what <laughs> happens. <laughs> the NBA
4: just shut down to prevent you from voting <laughs> on yeah, an all-star did. game. It's writer than you on CBS Sports Radio.
1: All right, welcome back to the show. That's the bristler right there. That That's – that's so now you're a Bristler. Are you are, let me give the audience the 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 background here because I got up this morning and I had a bunch of text messages. I'm like what the hell? I forgot that last week on vacation, our own Peter Schwartz, Schwartzy, interviewed me for a um Barrett Sports Media, which is a how would you describe this? A influential radio niche media juggernaut?
2: I agree with all of those adjectives. All right, juggernaut might be
1: strong, but whatever. It's it's you know it's it's important, and and Schwartz interviewed me for it, and I was on vacation. I, I was very tired, and I, it you know it flew by. The interview flew by, and I got off my. I don't even know what I just said. Apparently, I said that you bristle. What did I say? You bristle,
2: Tommy. Yeah, and our then. dynamic, our back and forth. You like to give me a bit of a hard time. You like to bust chops, and that I bristle at that, and that it I makes don't. for a good back and forth between me and you.
1: I don't think it's wrong. I, I honestly thought the whole feature was about you because Schwartz asked me like seven questions about you. I thought you were leaving. I thought it was like a pretend interview and it was like a goodbye. Bogus just, just crossed his fingers. Would you Andrew, would you would it be fair to describe
2: Tommy here as the, as a bristler?
4: I don't know the exact term, so it's hard for me to say yes or no.
2: I'm so glad you said that. I had to look it up. I didn't know if it was a compliment at first. I oh, had to Google it. Yeah, I mean, I
4: know it's negative,
2: but I don't know yeah. how negative. Yeah. That's kind of what I felt like. i like, like, oh, this isn't, you know, the best picture of me. Right. But, like, but, like, how bad is this?
1: I mean, what does it mean to bristle at someone? I mean, it's, it's you know, to take on... An aggressively defensive
4: attitude. <laughs>
2: yeah, I mean, that's. A- <laughs> I'm not saying it's not accurate. I just don't know that, that that's right. overly positive.
4: And I never heard somebody be called a bristler. So like, that's where I was confused by. That seems. That's why I wanted to make sure the definition of bristler before I said yes or no. But Diesel definitely bristles at way too many things during
2: these two hours. Yeah, bristler. One who bristles. Yeah, that's you. <laughs> one who bristles. Marketing. As down. in
1: one who says DeAndre Ayton will be the best player in the Suns, and the host and update anchor aggressively say, "Well, did you see? And then... don't oh, do that?
2: Got to ride with it now. It is what it is now. <laughs> the no, bristler. No turn it back. It's not what he meant. I like Maine a lot. Okay. Yeah, I was in Maine last week. I've never been, but I hear it's absolutely beautiful. Mm, it's not in New Jersey, so tough sell. I'm out. Yeah.
1: Can I admit something though that I didn't want to? I didn't have. I didn't feel comfortable saying. With them? we were an hour from Bangor, but like that, I didn't feel comfortable saying in the, in the spine state of Maine. I don't like lobster. There I said it. I had a lobster roll. Gross. I had a whole lobster. Um, it was fine. It was a lot of work.
2: I, too, had a lobster roll while I had some time <laughs> like, off early last week, and I I couldn't wait to have my lobster roll. You don't like lobster rolls? Here's what I
1: think it is. I don't think that lobsters gross. I don't think that lobster rolls are gross. I think I have zero palate for lobster. I think it's a, definitely a me thing because I grew up in Iowa. I didn't see the ocean until I was, like, 20 or, 19, I think, 19 years old tried so hard my my brother's wife's parents so what are those my my i think they're still your in are they your in-laws no No. in-laws twice removed
2: no they're your brother's in-laws right i guess that's it yeah, yeah.
1: those wonderful people ted Mary. they're wonderful people uh they have a home in maine so they let us come out and hang out and they they're they're old They they they, they hosted us for a lobster dinner it was like really they henry got to put the lobster in the thing he was super excited there were extra lobsters, and I just, I don't know. I mean, I, I got in the lobster, and I got the cracking. And then when I was like, that's all, oh, and then I'm like, that's all the food? I didn't want to go get another lobster because so I, I thought it was rude, so I <laughs> looked around, and there were bowls, two bowls to my right and left of of corn on the cob, and I erroneously thought there was corn on the cob everywhere. So I ate uh, 11 corns on the cob quietly to try and, like, fill myself up to not to be rude. Then it turned out I ate all the corn on the cob, and the host were angry at me for eating their corn on the cob.
2: I can't believe you did
4: this. Well, isn't this the second ridiculous amount of corn on the cob you've eaten? Because you told the similar story before you went on vacation. It's
2: moderation, man. We all love corn on the cob, but you got to have it in doses.
4: Eleven.
1: Yeah, or 12. They counted. It
4: was on my plate. There are farm animals who don't eat that much in yeah, one sitting. And like,
1: then look, I tried to put it on Lori's plate so it looked like she ate some of it, but they saw me.
2: You're a, you're a, you're a good husband. You're a good <laughs> dude. And I can't believe you messed this up. You had an authentic lobster bake, corn on the cob, main yeah. lobster, yeah. and you didn't enjoy it, and you got to the point where everyone was mad at you? We, we drove
4: Stop bristling to, some. to
2: Stonington
1: <laughs> on Deer Isle, which was beautiful. And there's a there's a lobster co-op there where I guess a huge chunk of America's lobsters come into. and we went in, I, mean, I just stood there, but my, my brother's father-in-law picked out the lobsters. Like well, we walked down to the dock. We get, so they were I guess as this fresh is as, as good
2: as it gets.
1: Yeah, this is
2: it wasn't hard. bad.
1: It wasn't like oh this is it was like oh this is yummy, but it was it was two ounces of meat I think, and then it was over.
2: That's your takeaway. Well, it wasn't bad. So it wasn't bad. I, I will agree with Bill
4: that the enjoyment to work ratio is not as one side as it should be. So you want to, if you want to do most of the work for me, great. But yeah, I draw there. no, and people people like breaking up. Like I don't enjoy any part of the breaking it, snapping it, yanking it out. Is that the poop that's there? The green stuff? Like is even that poop? Like, Peeling, peeling each shrimp. I don't want that's Taint lobster that? poop.
2: Yes, yeah. yes, most definitely. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm.
4: I, I ate lobster poop. A hundred percent.
2: Hope you did it properly. Yeah. I mean, I tried to get as
1: much of it off as I could, but I thought this is good, so I just, it's fine. No. I mean, guys,
2: it's not about quantity; it's about qual. Like Maine lobster, that's as good as it gets. I just
4: want somebody no. else to do the work for me. I want to sit it's there, and give me the, the meat.
2: experience too. Like you're in beautiful Maine, the ambiance. I'm sure. Were you eating outside for this? You've never been to Maine. I, but it's yeah, beautiful. it's true. He,
1: be, Andrew's right. And also, ambiance, yes, but it's also yes,
4: never experienced. You're on remarkable. a screened-in
1: deck on the ocean. But here's what I'm going to say to you: What does have to do with anything? If I drive down to the ocean here in Manhattan Beach, California, and I pull out a three-week old ham sandwich that I left in my car, <laughs> is it going
4: to improve the taste? Yeah. No matter what Steph Curry's telling me, that subway sandwich is still the subway sandwich <laughs> beachside. okay What are you talking
2: about the: Only You would do this. You're in beautiful Maine with, with the best lobster in the country. You eat way too many you know pieces of corn on the cob. Everyone's mad at you, and your takeaway... Yeah, it was pretty good. <sighs> it was okay.
4: The bristler, <laughs> the br- the bristler.
2: <laughs> I needed a bristle to get
1: to get the the, the food out. And they had this long metal, like it's like a, the thinnest fork you've ever seen, trying to get the lot. It was look. It Did was. Did you wear glowed. the bib? Did you wear the bib? You protect your clothes. Did I wear? A, I think I put a crappy, sh- like nice looking shirt on. Like a nice look. No, they didn't have bibs. They're all experts. When they break into the lobster, you know my mem- my last memory of lobster before this was being at the finals a year ago in Boston,
2: and that was a disaster too. Where you and passed on the lobster.
1: I'm gonna get it wrong, but I think it was Sam Amick, who opened a, lo- a cracked lobster and the juice shot six feet under some stranger's suit, and I was just like, "I'll take the stick."
2: Yeah. I don't. I don't. I don't know. It was how good. To fix this. I don't. I'll tell you what, though.
1: Maine is beautiful. I mean, it's. It's amazing. So why can't I say it's
4: beautiful? And I've been there. Right. He knows from experience that it's beautiful. For
1: example, I can't speak to the beauty or lack thereof of Uzbekistan Mm -hmm. because I've not experienced that.
4: Right. Now, and I want to go to Spain and Portugal. I assume they're beautiful. They look beautiful. But Bill knows that they're beautiful. I I haven't been to
1: Portugal, so I can't. I would never say Portugal. You can say Portugal looks beautiful, Tom. This is your thing. You have strong opinions on things you've never actually experienced and don't know what you're talking yeah, about. I
2: have a lack of experience, so there's only certain things I can talk about. If you want to talk about the things I've experienced, the show would be like 30 seconds long.
1: <laughs> yeah, you are the engine that drives this. I hope that came through in the BSM <laughs> interview. No, like
2: you could just say Maine
1: looks beautiful. Maine. People are nice. Maine is beautiful. Had great food. A great, played some clay court tennis. Nice. Had a great time.
4: Now, was your lobster roll the cold or hot variety? There is only one answer
2: here. One answer. I think it was cold. Yes, that is the correct answer. I mean, I got it again, also on a different day in Stonington.
1: I don't know, maybe a quarter of a mile from where the the lobster come in. I got a large. I also didn't know a large lobster roll. Like I'll take a. We we are against. Everybody got like sand. Like I'll take a large lobster roll.
2: It was $44. Yeah. That's how you know it's good. That's what it should be. $44. Yes, you got an excellent lobster roll.
1: When I got the bill, it was a teenage girl with a Maine accent who was very polite, but she saw me see the amount. I could see her be like, oh, here we go. Mm-hmm. The tourist <laughs> of California. One <laughs> of
2: these guys. I was
1: like, oh, it's a, mm, mm, $44 for a lobster roll. So then I ate the whole thing. Didn't like it.
4: Did it at least have a lot of lobster on it? Overflowing? A lot of lobster. All right, good.
1: And the lobster was falling off. I was eating it, but mm-hmm. I didn't
2: like... I think it was the sauce. What's on the... Lo- What's the sauce?
4: Well, I mean, it, the, the very traditional one is almost... Is it like mayo, Tom? Is it like... Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's a different variation of mayo, but its yeah. base is mayo. Like, uh, I don't know what to do right now. You're making, you're making me annoyed. You Again, I think a authentic it's... lobster roll, and you didn't like it. Okay. Here's my question.
1: If you grew up on an island in the Pacific... And you'd never experience meat. All you ate was fish all the time, and then you had wagyu steak. I don't think it would taste. I don't think you'd have a palate for it. I- this is the second lobster in my life. I had one at my buddy's wedding, also in Maine, ten years ago. But I was extremely drunk, and you could have fed me, you know, I don't know, a jar of
4: pickles, and I'd been like, "This is exquisite." Yeah, this all works differently. Like I like lobster. I like shrimp. I like tuna salad. Oh, but I don't like, I would never order, like, at a restaurant, like, a, a fish entree. That stuff tastes too fishy, seafoody to me. But the other stuff, to other people, tastes like the ocean. And then, like, whatever they're serving at a fancy restaurant isn't. So everyone tastes things differently, Tom. It's okay that he doesn't love lobster. It's not mandatory. Just
2: make me one promise,
4: Bill. Do
2: not give up on lobster, and do not give up on lobster rolls.
4: Well, if he went to Maine and didn't like lobster, I think that ship has sailed.
2: It's a very bad sign, I agree. But don't give up on it. I didn't like lobster rolls. I liked the lobster. It just felt like a lot of work
1: for very little. And I think the corn on the cob debacle was also—because I I miscalculated. I saw— Corn on the cob to my right, corn on the cob to my left. Behind us, so I thought the whole table was surrounded by corn on the cob. Yeah,
2: miscalculated. Everybody gets one, max two, not eleven.
1: Yeah, there were. I think. I mean, I think there were actually like thirteen of us. I think there were thirteen corn on the cobs, and I think I ate eleven of them.
2: Yeah, it's funny how that worked out, right? Thirteen people, thirteen corn on the cob. Yeah, you get one, man. And then Henry didn't finish his, and when no one was looking, I
1: finished his corn on the cob later. I love. I'm from Iowa, right? That's like your lobster. All right.
4: Do you just I put feel... it all put it in all at once and like you just pull it back out slowly and take all the corn off with your teeth? How does that work? Yeah, I'm
1: like a I'm like a, a typewriter. A typewriter okay. And I go fast. And it's just like I mean it's You go butter? You put butter on it? I can go butter, salt, or I can go neither if it's good corn. I, it just sort of depends on the proximity of the butter and how long I want to wait for it to head down to my side of the table. Lobster wow. is the running backs in the NFL. It's a really, really Easy. nice. It's a really nice thing, but I'm just not sure I'm going to use up the cap space in my stomach and my budget for it. That's not a transition that works. So I'm going to do that. in, in, in a I minute. think it All does. Right. <laughs>
4: and my res- I response am. would be: You're going to spend fifty bucks on Doritos and not on running backs. Doritos being wide receivers, and I think you're wrong. It's just about spending your money in better ways and smarter ways.
1: I gotta tell you, I do like Doritos a lot, but Me they only too. cost like like, like four dollars. Although with inflation, maybe they. I went and bought some heavy whipping cream yesterday when I got back, and that 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 cost eight dollars.
4: I just want to point out that while inflation is still a thing, it is going down, man. We're, you're running out of time to use that as an excuse for your heavy whipping cream. Is it going
1: down? When's it yeah. gonna go down in L.A.?
4: Uh, that one I can't speak to.
1: I'd also like to understand how gasoline is half price in Maine compared to L.A. when I live two miles from where a lot of the gasoline gets pumped in to a pro. What I don't even know what it's called. It's called a processing. I live. I can see tankers coming in when I go down. What's L.A. is expensive, is what I'm saying. Yeah, Maine was not as expensive.
4: And they have rules in California too, right? here. They have rules. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm in New York. There's a lot of people who keep talking about the free state of Florida. As if there's no rules there, but then we have rules in New York and other places.
1: I, I was in a in an Uber in, in Vegas for work a month ago, and the guy was telling me how LA's on fire and it's the worst place. And I was like, <laughs> I'm from LA. He's like, you are. I was like, just yeah. there. He's like, are you okay? I'm like, dude, that's not, that's not true. How did you get out? I don't know. <laughs> Who's spreading the California? Uh, California is amazing. I mean, the whole. Co- I mean, I've never been anywhere in the country I didn't like. Other than Sioux City. That's a little
2: in-state Iowa joke. There you go. Uh, I have nothing to add to this. I've never been to California, so apparently I'm not allowed to speak about things that happen in California. All right, you're learning. You
1: just have to modify it with, I've never been there, but I think.
2: Not California. You know, guys,
1: the Redlands are really special. How do you know you've been there? No. Reminds me of my favorite Stuart Kovac, Kovacs moment ever when he was working with me. I asked him for his favorite non-NFL city. We're having a whole conversation. He's like, Oklahoma City? I'm like, oh, you've been to Oklahoma City? He's like, no. I'm like, you can't. I like Oklahoma City, too, but I've been there.
2: All right. Great talk. Todd Diesel, it's good to see you, buddy. I feel way worse after this conversation. It took until segment two for me to be annoyed.
1: By the way, one of our listeners... uh, is is tweeting he's in he's a Maryland guy who lives in Maine now. We were close to each other. He's saying salmon, which actually salmon's the only food I don't like. Is that weird? I'll eat anything else.
4: Oh, D cells crab Here now.
1: Then crab, I like crab. Are both better than lobster. I can't Lori loves salmon. I can't I love seafood. I don't like I don't like I don't like pink fish. I don't like salmon.
4: My wife makes salmon and I have to leave the house. The smell bothers me so yeah, much. Yeah
1: I can't do salmon. I mean, I will eat almost anything else. I ate um, I ate goat brains once. Tried it, wasn't great. But whatever, it's, you know, I'll give it. A, I'll give it a go. Why are you mad about the salmon, bristler? Why are you we, bristling?
2: Like you guys just gotta like mature. Like you guys. <laughs> 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 we gotta mature. <laughs> wow. Okay, your, hit me with it. Your taste buds. Like, come on. Like what? what what's what's that good about salmon? You like you sound the like taste. a ten year old who doesn't like salmon. I don't like lobster,
4: crab. Dude, like, come on! I see what you have for lunch every day. You're basically an eight year old. So, like, don't tell me about grow up and <laughs> yeah. spam my palate. How's Lee, your mac and cheese Lee, today? That's
2: exactly. I got peanut butter and jelly. Okay. today. Okay, yeah,
4: I was a guest too.
2: My daughter ate peanut
1: butter and jelly for the first time on the trip and decided she liked it. I don't make. Pe- I think peanut butter and jelly is gross. We yeah, we know. This. All right, but I'll eat that. Salmon is not my thing. Well, we didn't talk uh, any Jonathan Taylor, so we're going to get into that. We're just going to push it off. He's in a war against his own team the way Decel is in a war against reason. And we will dive into both those things after we get a CBS (laughs) Sports Radio update from Andrew Bogish.
4: I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me.
0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. Welcome back
1: to Writer Than You. I'm not judging, but I don't want that apple. Don't pick the apple up with your foot to see if it's... Just take the apple. Your foot touched it.
0: It's Writer Than You on CBS Sports Radio.
1: All right, welcome back into the show. Bill Writer with you here on the program. Life's unfair. Sometimes you're great at what you do, but it's not valued in the world anymore, and sometimes you work for total morons. Jonathan Taylor has the disadvantage, the running back in Indianapolis, of both. And his reality, what he sees in front of him, has led him to a standoff with his organization that he cannot win. I understand the reasons for it. It ain't fair, and it's hard if Jim Mercer the guy you're negotiating with, and the reporting beyond that uh, of his response to those conversations are true. It's hard to sit around and to accept your fate, but it's your fate nonetheless. Jonathan Taylor's a running back in the National Football League. And as we have discussed a ton, that is not a thing that has value, that is valued, I should say, by the decision makers around the league. Here's the deal. Jonathan Taylor is in his fourth year, final year of his rookie deal. He was a second-round draft pick, so it's a little different than what we normally discuss, right? Most stars, a lot of stars come out of the first round. So we're sort of muscle memory to think that that's the timeline. And he is looking forward, and he has seen a world where Dalvin Cook, and to a degree, Saquon Barkley, I know he worked out things with the Giants, and the other guys we've talked about, Josh Jacobs, have indicated to him what to expect. And we talked before I went on vacation a week and a half ago, and I'm, I'm assuming the guys did too, if it, if it popped up again. There's this group chat of running backs trying to figure out what to do. It's, it's colleagues commiserating about the crappy realities of their job. And Jonathan Taylor then, had, for him it seemed like a, a final straw, where Jim Irsay, the owner of the Colts, came out and tweeted what we've all said and thought. There's a CBA. You signed it. You may be screwed. Too bad. That's life. But again, like like Sean, like Sean Payton, sometimes saying the truth isn't necessarily in your best interest or the best interest of your organization. So Jonathan Taylor saw this and thought, What what the hell's going on? Met with Jim Mersey. And the response is a bunch of ugliness and and and, and maybe the Colts' best, most important player, certainly. Offensively important player, asking for a trade. Now, now there's other things that sort of came came out of this. In the aftermath of this, according to James Boyd of the Athletic, Jim Irsay basically just insulted Jonathan Taylor. Here, let me let me read you the money quote. Quote: If I die tonight and Jonathan Taylor is out of the league, no one's gonna miss us. Jim Irsay said. Which, by the way, just quick, that's weird. If you die and he's out of the league, those are the those are level things. Okay, let's keep going. The league goes on, Ursae continued. We know that. The National Football League rolls on. It doesn't matter who comes and who goes, and it's a privilege to be a part of it, end quote. Maybe it's all true. I just don't know that you should say it. And there's also reports that have come out, according to ESPN, that Taylor has some back pain and injury not sustained while playing for Indianapolis or doing football-related activities that would allow the Colts to shift him from the pup list right now physically unable, unable to play, to another list where they don't have to pay him. Okay, that's 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 bad timing for Jonathan Taylor, other than Jonathan Taylor himself came out and said he never had back pain. He never reported back pain. He's calling these folks liars. And this is the other reality of the National Football League, and this another insight into why Jonathan Taylor is fighting a battle he's not going to win. Because Jim Ursay it seems, is not bright enough or able enough or... or unwilling, maybe he's really bright, I don't know. Maybe it's just he's too candid. I, whatever the reason, he's made the poor decision of just saying the quiet part out loud about how NFL owners are going to navigate running backs. We don't value, we don't care, no one's going to miss you, Not we're not going to pay you, and if you try to stand up for yourself, at least in this case, there there's going to be the possibility we're either going to leak the truth about your injury or, according to the running back, just lie. Just lie about what's going on. And and DeSale made a great point this morning that's, I think, really important. Let's say Jonathan Taylor can force his way somewhere else, which he can't because Ursay has said that they won't trade him under any circumstance. It's another thing that he, he just did. They're everywhere. Texted, I think, Albert Breer. We're not trading Jonathan. End of discussion, not now and no. That doesn't bode well because they, they've, they value running backs to a point. They want them. They're just not going to pay them. But let's just say Jonathan Taylor could force his way out of Indianapolis. Got a magic wishing wand. Grabbed a penny from a fountain and actually gave you what you want. I don't know. Whatever. As DeSnow pointed out, there's probably not a team in the National Football League, or very few, that are going to pay him the contract he's going to want next year. This isn't a Colts issue. Now, the things I gave you is a Colts issue. But Jonathan Taylor's not angry just because the Colts can franchise him for a couple years and keep him around. He's angry because no one's going to pay running backs. And clearly his motivations have been spurred by what's going on around the league with Barkley and Cook and Jacobs and the running backs coalition of Zoom calls that lead to nothing, where they're all coming to the conclusion this is the reality. And you can't run from that. This ain't international sucker where you, know, you can just be like, oh, I'm going to go to Saudi Arabia, or if I'm messy, I'm going to go to America. There's nowhere to go play football that matters or is meaningful other than the National Football League. They have a monopoly. They get to decide. They get to decide. And I got no good answer. It sucks. It's unfair. Life's unfair. Even for highly paid, remarkably well compensated, well deservingly highly paid, remarkably well compensated running backs who are are great. I mean, Tom, I guess there can be one team maybe, but I don't think so.
2: It's a big picture issue for Jonathan Taylor. He's going to go from one situation, and I, and I, I believe Ursula. they are not going to trade this dude. He's one of the best running backs in the league, not and they're going back. to be playing a rookie quarterback, probably right from week one, in Anthony Richardson, who they took over—you know—took number four overall in this past draft. They—they they need Jonathan Taylor. They just also don't need to pay him. And well, Jonathan Taylor would, knows that.
1: Why would you trade for Jonathan Taylor when you have to give a lot of things up? You're not going to be able to get him, but you have to give a lot of things, and then you have to deal. Deal with his contract frustrations when Dalvin Cook's still available. Now maybe he's gonna be a Jaddy visit
2: of the Jets in the last twenty four hours. Right, oh okay, fine. But there's not a market. There's not a market, but also I'll play devil's advocate here and take the other side. If you're Jim Ursay and you know you could, you know, kick it down the road with Jonathan Taylor, why make him upset now? Why tweet about the CBA unprovoked? Why have a meeting with Jonathan Taylor? And not try to smooth things over as much as you can. Nobody's saying you have to give him a deal right now. But why not try and leave that meeting with, at least we're on the same page. We don't exactly agree right now, but we're on the same page. Give me an answer.
1: My driver's ed teacher used to say this to me about me when I would do something dumb. Doesn't mean I am dumb. Maybe I am. But it just meant in the moment. So maybe Jim Mercer is a Mensa candidate and, and maybe he is. But as my driver's ed teacher at Wallet High School Class of 96, and Dubuque, Iowa would say to me, can't teach smart.
2: Can't teach smart. I don't know. Just just,
5: don't say
1: anything.
2: Why not incentivize Taylor if you had that sit-down at at training camp over the weekend? Why not incentivize him, hey, Jonathan, ball out this year. You were injured last year. Ball out this year, and we'll talk about your contract at the end of the season. Instead, we we leave that, yeah, I want out, dude. Trade me right now.
1: But remember, Urshane also said the quiet part out loud about Daniel Snyder. He he told us, what, eight, nine, ten months ago, Snyder was going to go. And everyone's like, oh, maybe. Gonna, and Snyder's gone. So I think Ursay just can't help but be like, here's what I'm thinking. I think that we'll never pay you. You're right. But that's, I think it's insight into why the Colts don't run a sophisticated organization. Why do they not run a sophisticated organization? Because of Jim Urze. Think about how much Peyton Manning covered up for a multitude of sins and incompetencies in his time there. As a bristler, you're a bristler, Tom. You can relate to Jonathan Taylor bristling a little bit here.
2: Absolutely. I mean, I mean, let's not forget, this is an owner who last season had Jeff Saturday as his interim head coach. Without ever being a head coach before.
1: That was pretty can't teach smart. Can't teach smart. Let's do something smart, though. You don't have to teach us. We'll just do it.